Well, hey there, this is Keith. Listen, before we start the episode today, I just wanted to take a moment and speak directly to anyone who might be listening who's still in the closet. Well, the first thing I want to tell you is that's perfectly okay. Do what is best for you when it is best. Never let anyone else pressure you in this decision. But let's say that you are thinking about coming out, or there's a part of you that really does want to come out, but you want to do so very carefully, very slowly, very strategically, and even very selectively. Well, if that's you, my friend, I've got you covered. I want you to go to the show notes and use a link there to check out my Selective Outage Method digital course. I think you're going to be surprised, and I believe it'll help you as you plan your coming out. All right, let's get on with the podcast. Hello, and welcome to Coffee with Keith. I'm Keith Brown, the bisexual specialist. And my main mission in life is to help my bisexual family create the life they desire and deserve and construct authentic and affirming faith if they want. But listen, this podcast is for the entire queer community. So you are welcome here, my friend, I promise. On Mondays, it's Bi Talks, where I answer questions and talk about all things related to bisexuality. On Wednesdays, it's Table Talks. This is where I either do a solo episode or invite wonderful guests into the podcast to talk about all things related to the queer community, especially as it deals with Christianity. And then on Fridays, it's Bible Talks, where it's just me sharing some devotion and application from Scripture. So, I invite you to grab that coffee, have a seat at my table, and let's chat on this episode of Coffee with Keith. Hello, my friend. Welcome to this edition of Bible Talks, and I'm so glad you could join me. I'm Keith Brown. My pleasure to be with you today. We are continuing our walk through the book of Acts, and if you remember contextually last time, we had talked about, and this was on the heels of the stoning of Stephen, and you remember that there was one who was there witnessing the stoning by the name of Saul, and Saul was so um, I think driven and magnified in his, I don't know, anger toward Christians and those that were converting from the faith because he was a Pharisee. He was a strong Jewish leader and believer. Because of this, he was ignited, I guess is the best term, against the Christian faith. So what he did was he began to attack the Christian faith and he began to put people in prison. He'd go into homes and he would take them and he would put them in jail. So um, it is therefore on the heels of that that we see the response of the people. And it said in the last section of this book of Acts earlier in the chapter 8 that the people were dispersed. And that's where we pick up with this week in chapter 4 of verse 8. It begins this way. Therefore, that's there to connect you with what I just told you. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds of one accord were given attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, 
were given attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. May God bless the reading of his written word. Now, we are here. We see that Philip has gone into Samaria. He is continuing the tradition of teaching and preaching the, the resurrection of Jesus, the, the life that is in Jesus, the love that we should have for Jesus, the appreciation that we should have for Jesus, and all because of what Jesus did for us. We see here that there are miracles taking place. Now, this is kind of a hotbed topic, because as you may have heard when I read this text, it dealt, dealt with unclean spirits, for instance, as part of the process of what was going on. Philip was teaching and preaching about Jesus, and people were being healed of physical ailments, which is a direct revelation of the power and the miracle work that is through Jesus, and these people were witnessing that. But it also says that people with unclean spirits were being healed. The unclean spirits were coming out. Now, I don't know how you fall upon the um, the idea of unclean spirits or demonic spirits. Um, I'll leave that up to you. But in this case, it seems to indicate that there was these people who I might add were not Christians. They were not yet followers of Christ who were in this case, possessed by demon spirits. And because of the preaching that Philip was doing and the, the power that was in Jesus and his name, these unclean spirits were leaving. And then these people were falling in love with Jesus, becoming a follower of Jesus, were being baptized and receiving all the blessings of that. So again, that's a very hotbed subject. I don't really want to go into it right now in this message because it is something that would take a lot of discussion, a lot of um, historical teaching, a lot of practical uh, information, a lot of biblical research and all kinds of stuff. So I'm going to leave that for you. You decide what you believe about demonic spirits. I would simply mention that, again, these people that were being um, relieved of these demonic spirits, whatever that was in the context of what these people were seeing and experiencing, um, was done pre their confirmation and baptism, okay? So at least we know in that timeline that it was before that. There's something else that was taking place that was kind of interesting here. It was this guy named Simon. Now, Simon was there, and I, I, I want to touch on this because you may or may not know that one of the things that I have done for over 20 years is practice comedy magic. And I do that in presentations. I've done it for corporations. I've done it for schools. I've done it for churches all across the United States. Um, it's just something that I enjoy. And in the church um, situation and church atmospheres, it's often teaching. Uh, I will do a show and I will also bring a message of some kind along with it. So it's tied together. Now, I want to be very clear because I have had in my history, I've had some people that have attacked me for doing this. They say, well, you're a Christian. How in the world can you practice magic? How can you do these magic shows? How can you do that? And I've had people tell me that I'm going to hell because of that, because I am, you know, some witchcraft or I am 
some sorcerer or whatever because I do magic tricks in shows um, along with sharing truths and teachings when it comes to the Bible and Jesus. So I think it's kind of funny, but we have to distinguish the difference here. And let me just, if you ever are in doubt or if you ever hear this, let me just tell you, there's a difference here. Okay. What, for instance, I do are magic tricks that are learned. And I tell my students that I teach sometimes magic, you know, I've, I've taught students magic over my years. And I always tell them it takes, anybody can do a magic trick, but it takes an entertainer to truly make it magic. All it is, is in my case, it is methodology, it is sleight of hand, it is practice, it is forethought, it is pre-planning. There's a lot of things that go through in making something which appears very magical, very astonishing, actually as easy as I can for myself. Um, there are skills uh, to that a lot of times with the hands, but it's all tricks and it's all done in the presentation of humor or message or what or just pure entertainment but what simon was doing was different there is a distinction simon was using what we call either white magic or black magic and people make this distinction because there are people who believe it's okay for christians to practice white magic um but most would agree that black magic would be something they shouldn't now whether you fall in that or not i don't know but let me just tell you that the difference is uh, for instance, what I do is just magic tricks. We can call it illusions. It's just it's just sleight of hand kind of stuff. But what these what Simon was practicing was things like spells, and there were cantations, and there were other things that were trying to demonstrate. Now, could he have incorporated some of these other aspects of sleight of hand and things? And yes, probably he could have, and very likely he did to show um, an outward display of manifestation of his witchcraft, his his sorcery. But it is a different process, and I just want to make that very clear. Now, again, white magic and black magic, some people will try to distinguish that, especially those who call themselves Christian and still practice a sort of a, a, a magic aspect of their faith. And there are people, and let me tell you, there are people who do fall in this category. They do believe in in uh, mystic things and, and prayers and cantations and stuff, but they do these things positively, so they do it you know, as blessings and they do it for, it's almost like prayer to them. So they refer to it as white magic because there's no evil intent behind it. But what Simon was practicing, I am convinced was black magic. Simon was trying to impress. Simon's main focus was Simon. It wasn't the people. It wasn't doing good. It wasn't trying to, to bless people in any way. What Simon was doing was using his abilities and his sorcery, if you will, to make himself known, to build himself up, and I think to fill his coffers. He wanted to make the mighty dollar. So Simon was misusing and he was doing things that harmed and people were falling prey to that. They were actually seeing it. They were believing. They were lifting him up. They really thought, you know, here it is. He, we're seeing this magnificent thing this guy's doing. So he must be, you know, pretty powerful. He must be a god, for instance. When in actuality, Simon wasn't at all in the presence or the plan of God. So when the apostle came down and began to actually teach about Jesus and actually began to do things that were miraculous, not in his own power and not in his own ability and not in his own skill, but through only the power in the name of Jesus, Simon took note. 
but so do the other people. Because I am convinced that they saw and witnessed what Simon was doing, and now what was taking place here by the disciple, that it was different. What was showing up, what was being manifested, the miracles, it was different. And what was taking place now was much more powerful and convincing than what Simon ever did or ever could do. Because again, Simon was doing something in his human design, his human form, his human ability. And this was not. And so many people began to believe and many people began to be baptized so one of the things we see is that the disruption of the church in Jerusalem, and when Saul began to attack and others began to attack the church, the church dispersed. And we think immediately that's a horrible thing because the communion, that intimate group was devastated. But in a way, it was grown because the people were dispersed to other areas. And then those areas became hotbeds of Christian faith. Now, here's something interesting to me. Simon saw this going on, and he believed, and he became a believer. And it says here, interesting, that Simon was actually baptized, and he fell in line and began to follow the disciple in his teaching. I find that interesting, and I find it interesting because wait till we get to next week, and we're going to see if you want to skip ahead and read it yourself, you can rest of chapter 8. But next week, we're going to talk about what happens when the disciples hear what's going on and what happens with Simon. So part two of that. But this week, I just want to concentrate on one concept that I think speaks to me through this text. This is it. I think there's a lot of times within the Christian faith. And again, Simon wasn't working in, within Christendom. He was just working for himself. But I think there's a core, a parallel lesson we can learn here. I believe that sometimes when it comes to faith and sometimes when it comes to sharing our love and our dedication to Jesus and our witness of Jesus and the ministry that is in Jesus, sometimes I think that the church can try to manifest that in over-the-top ways. I think sometimes we can try to manipulate the responses of people when it comes to the message of Jesus. I think that we can do things to try to stimulate their hearts and their minds and their their feelings. And sometimes we use all types of tricks and trickery to make that happen. We want to make them feel crushed or needy, or we want to make them feel you know, whatever, or we use lighting or music or, you know, drama, whatever the case may be. There's nothing wrong with those things specifically, I, I might add. I, I, there's really not. Okay. However, we must test why we're doing it. And one of the things that troubles me, and maybe it's because with all this gray hair, I'm sort of an old guy, is that Sometimes I believe the Christian faith becomes more about entertainment than relationship with Jesus. It's how can we get them entertained? How can we keep them connected? How can we show them something that will make them happy? How can we compete with the local theater and some of the movies they're doing 
Now, I, I think that we have to reach people in a variety of ways. I think we have to reach people where they are. And I think that there are several creative and artistic ways we can do that. In fact, one of my doctoral writings was on the defense of the creative arts and ministry. So I'm not opposed to using creative arts. I'm not opposed to using um, creative ways to share the truths and the grace and the love of Jesus. After all, I do that. I use magic, <laughs> comedy magic, sleight of hand magic, illusions, I might add. So what's the difference? It's the motivation. I think we must ask ourselves whether we're singing on a praise team, preaching a sermon, teaching a lesson, dancing a holy dance in church, clinging a cymbal or a tambourine or whether we're beating the drums. What's the main reason and purpose behind this? Is this to impress or is this to draw people closer to Jesus? There is a difference, don't you think? And if the heart and the desire and the motivation is pure, then I think the results will indicate it so. Because if you remember contextually, even just a few lessons ago, that the Sadducees were instructed that if this message of Jesus was false, if it wasn't true, if it wasn't real, then it wouldn't last. But when our love and our motivation and our purpose is Jesus-driven, then it has results, I think, that are oftentimes supernatural. And people are truly impacted. So today, that's the check. Is what I'm doing to draw them closer to Jesus or just to entertain or tickle their ears? Remember, when Simon did it, it was fascinating. It was entertaining. It was even powerful. But it failed in comparison to what God did through these disciples. And I would say the same thing is true for us. When we truly operate in the power, the love, and grace of Jesus, nothing, and I mean nothing, can compete with that. Amen. Okay, that's it for this time. Stay tuned. Next week, we're going to go back into this chapter. We're going to see about old Simon and what happens to him and what they talk about. So stay tuned for next week's Bible talk. Until then, heal your hurts, move your mountains, and may God truly bless you. Bye-bye, my friend. Well, there you go, my friend, this episode of Coffee with Keith. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening. Now, please stick around. One more announcement I want to give you. God bless you. See you next time.